0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean? Good music. It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Good
1: or bad? It's a great band. It's a bad band. It's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what. There's music in the air. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DiRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago
0: Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cudd. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we are uh, mourning the loss of one of the most tragic figures in rock history, the founding member of uh, Pink Floyd
1: absolutely and we're going to pay homage to Sid Barrett and uh, maybe uh, illuminate some aspects of his story that you're not familiar with and maybe you don't even know who he was in general but it's a heck of a tale we've also got reviews of the new album by Tom York the moonlighting Radiohead front man uh, we just had Radiohead in here a while back but we'll take a quick look at his album the uh, newest from India RE I've got a Desert Island jukebox pick but once again Mr. Cott we are burying the
0: lead we had an in-studio guest who uh, is just an extraordinary performer one of the most engaging uh, hip-hop artists of our time, I think, Rhymefest, uh, with a live performance and an interview, and we'll be sharing that with you in a few minutes. But first, as always, the news.
2: Living in my own world Didn't understand That anything can happen When you take a chance
0: that is the biggest selling album of the first half of 2006. You don't know what that is? Ask your teenage daughter or ask your teenage daughter's friend. It's called High School Musical. It has sold 2.6 million copies so far in 2006. By far the biggest selling album of the first six months of the year. And now- That's a song called Start of Something New from the high school musical, made-for-TV movie, turned into a multi-million-selling soundtrack. We've got a snapshot of the year so far in progress from Nielsen SoundScan, giving us a little uh, window into the world of popular culture, pop music. What is happening? What is the most popular music in the country at the moment? That, well, folks, is, is, it, is the most popular album in the country Those right are now. two separate things, Mr. Cott. There is
1: what is happening in terms of, like, artistic growth and actual, you know, zeitgeist of the world. And then there's what's actually selling. I mean, it's always kind of revealing. Even though we make our livings monitoring pop music, right? I mean, it's revealing when these numbers come out because, like— I look
0: at it sometimes and say,
1: wow, you know, what does that have to do with what
0: I do here? Well, it, it, it shows you the tremendous uh, buying power of, of young teenage girls still. 2.6 <laughs> million. I mean, by far, not even close. There's not even yeah. a close second place. High School Musical, 2.6 million copies so far. Rascal Flatts, a Country Act, with uh, not even 2 million in second place. James Blunt, who we've made sport of, the 21st century U.K. answer to James Taylor... Uh, Only 1.6 million, yeah. Uh, Mary J. Blige uh, at number four with uh, 1.5 million with a breakthrough record. A pause here to applaud that. that's the first good record that's actually happy to hear. Mary J. Blige, Carrie Underwood uh, continuing (laughs) the American Idol franchise with a with 1.5 million sold of Some Hearts. We have a Various Artist Compilation at number 6. We have the rapper T.I. at number 7. We have the Dixie Chicks, who, uh, although at number 8 with 1.2 mil, that is still a little bit of a disappointment given the context of their previous best-selling albums that have been in the 10 million range. Andrea Bocelli, the uh, the pop opera singer, is at uh, number 9. And the biggest-selling rock act... Mr. DeRogatis in 2006. Can you possibly guess who it is? I, would, I don't know if I'd call them rock. <laughs> I don't know. Nickelback, this Canadian band, they have been uh, made mincemeat by every critic in uh, in North America, I think, and yet the fans just keep on buying their records. So what I, do we know, right? Uh, you know, aside from Mary J., there's not a single
1: one <laughs> a of those. Record here that well, and Dixie Chicks. So I guess there's two records in the top ten selling albums of 2006 that we actually are even intrigued enough to like examine you know which is weird a high school musical and my nine year old is obsessed with it she keeps asking me if I've talked to Zach yeah. you know she's like what did you do today dad well I was on the <laughs> phone with the Rolling Stones U2, and uh, Paul McCartney yeah but did you talk to Zach <laughs> I don't even know what that means you know well, I don't know
0: you know uh, she's obsessed with it it's insidious if you grew up in the 50s the equivalent of this would have been West Side Story if, if you grew up in the 70s the equivalent of this would have been the Grease soundtrack yeah. and now for this generation of kids you've got high school yeah. Musical. Hey, kids, let's put on a show. There's a sequel coming up in 2007. Give me that diatribe, Jim. I know you're looking forward to that. Now, the, uh, the biggest-selling genre of music in the first half of 2006, country music, up by 18% over last year. Alternative rock is the uh, biggest downfall from 2005, down 15%. The alternative rock yeah. format. Back up a minute, Mr. Codd, because not only is Disney bringing us a high school musical, but they also, an
1: imprint of Disney, Lyric Music, is bringing us the number two album, Rascal Flats. Right? You said they were number two? Yeah, almost two million copies sold in the first half of 2006. Me and my gang, Rascal Flats, who are these guys? <laughs> these these are, are young kids fourth generation Nashville guys who you know are theoretically country although I have a hard time hearing it I mean it's you know it's it's country pop it's that highly yep. overproduced stuff that passes for country but they are already on their their fourth single from this album they've even spawned with this fourth single I'm moving on they've even spawned a uh, self-help book with the same title
2: <laughs> I've dealt with my ghost and i have faced on my demons. Finally, content with a past I regret. I've found you find strength in your moments of weakness. For once, I'm at peace with myself. I've been burdened with blame, trapped in the past for too long. I'm moving on.
1: I think, Greg, the key number here is overall music sales. The difference between 2005 and 2006. Now, this is albums, singles, music video, mm-hmm. and digital tracks. 2005, 456 million units sold of all those different things albums, singles, videos, digital tracks. 2006, 564 million. That's a 24% increase yeah. in overall music sales. The music industry is telling us we are threatened with extinction because of this thing
0: <laughs> called the Internet.
1: And their business is up 24%. Yeah.
0: When the heck did you get a 24% raise? No, you know, I, we're in the wrong line of work, as I've said many times before.
1: That's, <laughs> that's uh, in, it's incredible.
0: It's been a, a stellar first half in terms of sales for the music industry. So uh, if, if you hear a music uh, company executive crying, tell them to shut up. They're doing great. Well, you you. That's Roger Waters of uh, Pink Floyd paying homage to his uh, fallen comrade uh, Sid Barrett on the song Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Barrett had been out of Pink Floyd for seven years at that point in 1975. He left the band in a state of disarray. He was uh, mentally ill, abusing drugs. He had founded the band. He had named the band. He had written their initial songs. So to have the leader of the band essentially drop out just as they were about to uh, taste their biggest fame, was a huge blow. That man, the leader of Pink Floyd... Uh, the crazy diamond, the, guy the who, painter, the piper, the prisoner, the martyr... ...that Roger Waters is singing about, Sid Barrett, is dead at the age of 60... He uh, had suffered from symptoms of diabetes for years and finally succumbed. Been living as a virtual recluse, uh, Jim, for uh, basically the last 30 years. You know, it could be argued that Barrett was the uh, inventor or certainly one of the key people in the initial stages of the psychedelic rock movement in the mid-60s. Oh, absolutely. Without him, Pink Floyd was uh, essentially a blues and R&B band. Yeah. When Barrett joined, immediately took over the songwriting, shifted the band into this sort of... uh, translated, more playful sound you know, evoking fairy tales these kind of bucolic scenes but at the same time combining it with this really otherworldly guitar playing, these trancy rhythms and uh, an incredible light show. I mean, talk about the, the spectacle of the Pink Floyd show you know, Sid Barrett was the guy who really conceptualized that stuff in these tiny London clubs in the mid-60s before anybody knew who Pink Floyd was From the very beginning, the first album, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn, released at
1: the height of the Summer of Love in August nineteen sixty and named after one of Barrett's favorite books, The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham. It's a chapter title in there. And that's typical of of what uh, Barrett would do. It was partly English fairy tale whimsy and partly frightening outer space interstellar overdrive, you know, that mix of things. And that album was recorded at Abbey Road Studios at the same time the Beatles were doing Sgt. Pepper's. And in many regards, I think it stands as a better oral evocation of the psychedelic experience you know you put this on put on your headphones you listen to that album
0: and you feel as if you are having an LSD trip Barrett was on another plane literally and figuratively (laughs) in a lot of ways but you know you hear the countdown that begins that record where Peter Jenner the the manager of the band has been handed this list of names of stars and galaxies by Mm Sid Barrett and says I just want you to read them through this megaphone And he's yeah. literally like <laughs> announcing the introduction of space rock to the right, world, and, right. and it, it's essentially once you enter that world in the first few seconds of the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, you don't come out until you know 40 minutes later. You're out with the last track, and that that was an amazing accomplishment.
2: The I see what design under... you
1: You know, we could go on all day and just name the people who've covered songs by Sid Barrett. You know, David Bowie, and Bowie always cited him as a huge influence and hero. Uh,
0: R.E.M., Pearl Jam, The Smashing Pumpkins, Fish, Widespread Panic, Flaming Lips, Robin Hitchcock. Well, musicians are appreciated Barrett's contributions immeasurably. But I think yes. if you went to the average person on the street, they oh, would no, say, no, 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 you know, no. Sid Barrett, who was that? Oh, no, no, no. They you, would have no No, idea. you are mistaken.
1: They have an idea because Pink Floyd, one of the best-selling Bands in rock history. Let us not forget Dark Side of the Moon, uh, their their 1973 masterpiece. It is sure. an album about the causes of insanity, what drives us insane, what makes us crazy. Largely influenced, uh, the, the four remaining members of Pink Floyd, by their departed founder, uh, wish You Were Here. Uh, <laughs> their their next album, and and also another of the best selling albums of all time, is about Barrett. Shine On You Crazy Diamond oh, sure. is their tribute to him. Absolutely. Wish You Were Here is them saying to him, "We we wish you were still with us." The Wall, uh, we, you know, is about the the things that we block off when we start to lose it, and 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 start to to question our our place in, in the world. Uh, much of the be- one of the best rock bands of all time, much of their music was inspired by this guy that they only knew for a couple of years.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's tragic. I mean, you know, right up there. I mean, you talk about people like Brian Wilson, Rocky and these damaged geniuses. I, I think Barrett's story in many ways is the saddest one of them all. Because yeah. he never really pulled out of it. We don't really know what happened to Barrett. Schizophrenia comes on
1: among uh, many young men in the ages of eighteen to twenty-four or so. This is right where Barrett was. It can't help to be taking six doses <laughs> of LSD so? a yeah. day and abusing on top of that. You know, pot and Quaaludes. Uh, clearly, it was partly mental and partly drug abuse. But uh, I talked to Nick Mason, the drummer and and co-founder, you know, with Barrett. He was there from day one in 1995. And uh, it was really revealing what what he had to say about his friend.
2: Well, yes. Um, How do I feel about it? Uh, It's very difficult. I mean, I suppose um, one feels it's a combination of things. First of all, there's an element of guilt because uh, maybe we should have saved him and we didn't know how to. We were you know, extraordinarily naive about drugs generally and about what was happening and what was happening to Sid. You know, what could we have done about it, I suppose? That's really one of the the major elements. Could we have saved the day? Could we have somehow worked with Sid in a way that would have prevented him going so badly off the rails?
1: Yeah.
2: We're not just talking about four lovable mop tops. We're really talking about a, a bunch of crazed individuals who... Uh, were so busy pursuing their own ends but they weren't even capable of looking after each other.
0: To me, Jim, it's interesting to hear Nick Mason talking about the guilt uh, that they were feeling because clearly I think they were setting off in two different directions. Regardless of Barrett's problems with drugs and with his mental health, I think clearly he was setting off on his own path. And these other guys were sort of marching off in in a different direction. They were a very ambitious group at that time. They clearly wanted... A larger chunk of something fame mm. uh, exposure I don't think Barrett was as much interested in that stuff at a certain point and well, it was well, pretty well, clear which is ironic though mm-hmm. you know, Barrett was a superstar doesn't translate in America as much but he
1: was you know a household well, name and a key figure the personification of swinging London it's a great point
0: he was the good-looking sexy guy And he he didn't want want any of that. He could have been the biggest superstar, and he was clearly the most charismatic figure in Mm -hmm. the entire band. You know, it's very easy to
1: romanticize what is a sad story. I think that that's a mistake that's often made, or, you know, being crazy or somehow being out of touch equals... Being a genius, uh, yeah, and certainly a lot of a lot of bad stuff has been perpetrated in in his name. Uh, I think the way that we remember people on Sound Opinions is by playing the music. There's a lot of bad Barrett music, and there's also some some really beautiful pop songs that came from the two albums that he made before retiring. One of them is called "Baby Lemonade," and I'm not going to play the album version, but uh, a track from the Peel Sessions where. Um, uh, David Gilmore from Pink Floyd is backing him up a brilliant, whimsical, effervescent, psychedelic in the best way, as in wiggy and and strange and surreal uh, pop song it 's just a timeless song. Why not remember Sid with a smile instead of a, a you know some sadness? Sid Barrett, uh, performing live with David Gilmour and a couple of other people on the Peel Sessions in the early 70s. Uh, kind of a prescient line, huh, Greg? Make your name like a ghost.
0: <laughs> Sid Barrett, dead at the age of 60. We're going to be back in a few minutes with Rhymefest, one of the best up-and-coming rappers in the business right now. alive in the studio with a performance and an interview on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. But uh, before we do that, a little bit more from Sid Barrett, this time from one of his uh, prime disciples, David Bowie, doing a version of Barrett's uh, song, See Emily Play, a big hit with uh, Pink Floyd when Barrett wrote it in uh, 1967, and then Bowie covered it a few years later and uh, has been under Barrett's spell ever since.
2: Somebody's dream
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. You're hearing a little bit of Rhyme Fest underneath us. His debut major label album is out this week.
0: It's quite a record, Craig. Blue Collar Man. Whoa, what a record! Yeah, it's it is one of those records that kind of takes hip hop in a new direction, and it also emphasizes what's uh, unique, I think, about the Midwestern sound, the Chicago sound. He titles the album Blue Collar. Yeah. And I really see that as sort of being the guiding ethos of this sound. Uh, he's an everyman. a guy who worked, you know, 50-odd jobs. Oh, he was flipping he burgers at McDonald's. He was, he was, he was a was janitor. A, he,
1: <laughs> he was a guard on, on a chain gang on the highway. Uh, he, he's a great storyteller. He's had a lot of interesting experiences. He's deeply spiritual. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's a Muslim, but he co-wrote Jesus Walks with Kanye West. Now, that was a huge hit. He won a Grammy for it. It was a million-selling hit single. Yeah. So Blue Collar's been him uh, waiting for a couple of years to answer.
0: That question: How much of an artist is he in his own right? Absolutely, and uh, one of the things I think that makes this record kind of unique is the sonic palette. Not your traditional funk-based uh, hip-hop samples here. There's some really adventurous choices. They're Absolutely. using the Harry Nielsen song "One." He's uh, using the Strokes. The Strokes, you know? strokes <laughs> of all things. I know. Well, let's dive in. Here's Rhyme Fest at the Jim and K Maybe Studio. He's going to give us a performance and uh, chat with us. We are being joined in the studio by RhymeFest. Mr. Blue Collar. And Mr. Blue Collar. That's yeah. the Jay name Smith of himself. Those,
1: uh...
3: yeah. Che. Just say Che. 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 Your, your mom named you after Che Guevara? Not my mother. My grandfather. Can I tell you a short story behind sure. it? Sure, please do. My grandfather was in Vietnam, and he had a platoon of what I guess he would call you call ethnic, uh, he had an ethnic platoon, uh, Latinos, poor whites, lots of blacks in his platoon. He was in the jungle, got surrounded by some Vietnamese, got ambushed. One of the Vietnamese came out and said to him in English, go home, this is not your war. It did something to him as far as, I think, mentally, him wow. thinking, why am I here? Yeah. What is going on? You know, and knowing what was going on back home as far as how he felt his people were being treated. He came home. He named all of the children and grandchildren there from after revolutionaries. Uh-huh. And my name was Che.
0: Well, Che came into the world. Uh, your mom was, was a young—she uh, was a girl, basically, when she gave birth to you, right?
3: Yes. When I, my mother got pregnant when she was 15. My mother's birthday is July 5th. Mine is July 6th. She had me a day after her 16th birthday. Wow. Or, yeah. And Mm -hmm. this
1: was on the south side of Chicago
3: growing up. On the south side of Chicago. And, you know, it's like, it's so funny because I always say my mother and I grew up together. Mm -hmm. You know, we grew up together. Mm -hmm. And, And it's like... This is, what, this is why I can relate to a lot of what young people are going through today in, in, in hip-hop, you know, because a lot of young people are growing up with their parents. And so as an artist, as a rapper, I know that I have a responsibility to help raise children as well as entertain.
1: Right. Now, 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 now Che, at some point along the line, you discovered
3: the Muslim religion. How did a, a, a Muslim
1: come to write Jesus Walks with Kanye?
3: Because... The thought of God having mercy upon sinners is not one that is lost upon the jihadists. Like, it's not not one that is is lost upon the Jews. It's not one that is lost upon—I'll say Muslims. I was trying to be funny with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is lost upon the Muslims, the Jewish people, or the Christians. This is universal. Almighty God having mercy upon sinners. What's more— Universal than that. Whatever and, you call this God. And, whatever, that and, is, and, so. and, and, and what we don't admit is that the God that the Christians pray to and that the Jews and the Muslims pray to is really all the same God. Mm-hmm. We all believe in one omnipotent creator, so it's really the same God. The Jews believe that Jesus existed. The Muslims believe that Jesus existed. The Christians believe that Jesus existed. So why can't we come together and make a song called Jesus Walks? And it's even further. More of a testament of why can't the, a Palestinian and an Israeli get together and make a beautiful song? Sure. If a Muslim and a Christian can do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. The
2: only thing that I pray is that my feet don't fail me now.
0: You know, the thing about that song, too, is that you were performing that song live long before most of America knew who Kanye West was. Yes. Uh, it was on a demo tape that you had, I believe. Yes. It's as much your song as Kanye's song. The fact that it was Kanye's breakthrough song in a lot of ways, how do you feel about that?
3: I don't look at it as my song or Kanye's song, I look at that song as a gift from the creator, and we will use his vessels to deliver it. I think that one of the problems with rappers, urban artists in general, is that we are very envious and jealous of each other, is is that we cannot work together to get a common goal accomplished. Mm. And, And I think that the person who delivered it, delivered it effectively and was in a position to get more from it. Than I was. So I'm not looking at anything like, man, it was mine because you know, and then <laughs> money and then with the royalties. Right. <laughs> Redbone, red bone, where's my royalty? I'm not like I'm not looking at it like that. I'm I'm looking at it like people wrote letters saying that they were gonna commit suicide and they heard that song mm. and they didn't. People wrote letters about them being prostitutes and alcoholics and they heard that song and decided to change their lives. Whether or not they converted to Islam or Christianity, whatever stopped them from destroying themselves, damn it, we won. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Well, it, and it also speaks to the idea that you're sort of breaking the mold in a lot of ways. Your songwriting, your persona, you know, right down to the choice of how you were going to make this record. I mean, you, you signed with Mark Ronson, yes. who is, uh, you know, kind of noted as, as a rock guy. I can imagine the pressure on you to get, like, a big-name hip-hop guy to work on your record. Let, you know, why not do the whole record with Kanye? It seems to me like the whole idea here is I'm going to forge my own path. I'm not going to walk behind somebody else when it comes to making this first record. That's definitely
3: what the my, my thing was. I mean, you know, I even have just Blaze on the record, but I don't have him doing, like, the ultimate commercial beat that's going to send me up into radio heaven. Yeah. I'm like, yo, give me something where I can just snap, you know?
1: Well, are you concerned, though, uh, Rhymefest? You know, you're sampling the strokes, for God's sake. No, I-
3: South side, step up and get you a slice. East side, step up and get you a slice. West side, step up and get you a slice. North side, step up and get you a slice. Chattown, step up and get you a slice. L.A., step up and get you a slice. M.I., step up and get you a slice. It's just a slice of the devil. Oh, come on. My thing about the strokes yeah. is that. They're a little too rocky for me. Yeah. You know but what I'm metronomic. saying? It's, a, it's, it's metronomic. It's not It's not like the, the rock I like. Like, like I like Coldplay or I listen to a Jamiroquai because it has a certain soul in it, a certain bluesy kind of feel. Like, you know, 7HR, it, it, it has a like a soul in it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, so I can feel the hip hop in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And with the Strokes music, I couldn't feel all of the hip hop in it. Except for that song, I felt the hip hop in it. When I listened to uh, Citizen Cope, like how I came up mm-hmm. with Bullet, you know, I heard the hip hop in it. So it's a natural thing. It's not a a force like, oh, I'm going to use the rock and then I'm going to get this audience because that's what I'm saying. I don't think like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, neither I, well, well, it's Kanye refreshing. Either. It's it's
0: refreshing. You're taking you're taking it outside this realm where people can even categorize it. As soon as you got people saying, "What is it? What category does it fall into?" I feel like you've succeeded. You won, you know, more than half the battle at that point, you know.
3: Yeah, but I want my damn prize.
0: <laughs> you say I
3: won. Where's my mementos for being well, on the Bozo not Show? Out to July 11th. Yeah, you got
1: some time. Let, let's talk about "Bullet." What an extraordinary song! You told the story at Intonation the other day in front of fifteen thousand kids. Tell us how it came about.
3: Well, I went to the mall. I saw a Hummer. It was a yellow Hummer. Had a banner. Drive a Hummer for a summer. I walked up to it. They had Chingy or Jaquan or one of the same. they all the same. They had them bumping out of the truck. And I went to sign up for the sweepstakes. But it was not a sweepstakes. It was an Army recruitment. And that's where I said I have to write a verse about how they're getting our young people. Mm-hmm. They're getting us through what we value. Through the things they tell us are valuable, we begin to value and then they kill the thing. I mean, this takes you thing. back
1: to your grandfather. Yep. You know, in Vietnam, this is not your war. This is not your war. This is not your... Can you do Bullet Force?
3: Yes, I can. All
1: right. All right let's get do it. Just Give him the high five when you want
3: I'll give him the high five. Straight out of high school, we didn't know what to do. Wanted to go to college, but no money was nothing new. Wanted to get away, go see the world, and do something new. He got approached in the mall by the army recruit. Told him if you wanna go to school, we got money too. Sign up at 18, you'll be out when you're 22. He joined the army airborne, got his uniform with the boot camp. Got some discipline, I rock 'cause when they shipping them, he's in the midst of war. Bullets flying, the mixin' them. Wishing he was a kid again with his family in Michigan. In the midst of fighting militiamen, one round took down six of them. He ain't really a killer, though, taking a lot of risks. This is what a poor person does for a scholarship. He turned around and got a face full of hollow tips. But don't be mad, he died for the well, flag. you die,
2: yeah.
3: put yourself between yeah. the bullet and- Between all of was a player knew just what to say to get the women back to his layer and layer if sex had a trophy he's the heisman touchdown hitting models on beat chicks and bust down. he got the women with crazy stairs with his lady there they ain't care they like ooh, look at his baby hair he took them all put them in the line and hit five new chickens he thought they was fine got hair from five dope fiends smoking the time did it all raw dog and ain't dog i ain't lying and he woke up with lesions. He went to the doctor asking, what's the reason? Wow. The test ran positive. He couldn't believe him. He started blaming God asking, why did he leave him? Pleading, please let the disease leave him. For women that he conquered, he got the body. What, what you done here is, is put yourself Ooh. a treatable yeah. than a target. Yeah. And it won't be long
2: before Ooh. you're pulling yourself away. Pulling yourself away. So what you done here is Ooh. put yourself a treatable
3: Uh, Welfare is like a And when you can't get a job And when you're living in the project Now when the sun goes down on our side of town, on the other side of the block, where cops ain't around. On the same side of the street, that Pac hit the ground. Not in Vegas, cause every brother got pot in the now. But we all in the streets, and we claiming we thugs. And I ain't on no swim team, but you see pools of blood. Skip Judy when you die. She ain't who's the judge. Oh, you married to the game, brother? Prove your love. Prove it. It's a strap, shorty. Shoot, do it, just do it. This ain't a gang, this a organized movement. My life, my pain, my hate, my stress. My strife, my wife, my life, my test We made for more, we die for less. If you starving in the ghetto, I can fight the rest. This why my girl think I'm odd and my mama think I'm odd. But when I'm all up in the dark, I just follow my knees. You die, yeah, yeah. Put yourself between a bullet and a target. And it won't be long. radio and and when you can't get on tv and and when you can't sell a record and and when you living in the project and and when you win this battle rap crap (laughs) and you know i must say john Bryan played on that record yeah, so those yeah. strings and that—that's John. Bryan. That's the Brian yeah. thing. That's it? the Brian thing. Yeah, I mean, it had to be fun working with him. Very interesting working with John Bryan. He's I got love nice hats. I, oh boy George to death. I love the the hats. Of, yeah, the hats. Anyway. Yeah, nice hats. <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice hats. Um, I love John Bryan. Well, he he is brilliant. You know, when I work with him, I called him a genius, and he stopped me, and he said, "My friend." Einstein is a genius. <laughs> <laughs> he thought of the theory of real, the relativity. you know he said, "My friend, he named some other people that just beyond a shadow of a doubt were geniuses. Mm. He said, "I am brilliant, <laughs> 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 and well, I knew I'm what he meant not
0: a merely brilliant
3: <laughs> yeah. but I knew what he meant that. You know, we throw this genius a word around so liberally. I mean, mm-hmm. no, let me not say that because conservatives make liberal a bad word. We throw the word genius around so freely, and we don't really think about what it means. And it just made me have to say, is Stevie Wonder a genius or is he brilliant? Mm-hmm. Is Marvin Gaye a genius or is he brilliant? Is Kanye a genius or is he brilliant? Mm-hmm. Like, a genius does things to change the way we live infinitely. Mm-hmm. whoever invented an airplane is a genius.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I say, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are certain, if you look at the word charisma, Rhymefest, you know, it comes from the Greek root for the word Christ. You know, it means th- this appeal where you're in somebody's presence and they have something that you don't see from other people. I mean, I've seen that several times. Greg and I interview hundreds and hundreds of people. I would say, you know, Kurt Cobain of Nirvana with somebody, you're in his presence, you say, wow, that's special. Johnny Cash. And, and you've got an element of that. You're on stage and intonation, you know, you, you threw yourself body and soul. A lot, of, I was standing among a lot of kids who'd never heard of you. They were hooked from three, four minutes into your set. Yeah, he was making converts. Yeah, and you I mean you threw yourself into the crowd. <laughs> you threw you threw every ounce of your being and there was this charisma. I don't even whether you call it genius or not, I don't know. But all of a sudden people were drawn. and Kanye has that, you know, Kanye walks into the room, everybody knows Kanye is now in the room.
3: Charisma. Common has it too. But you know if, what I don't, I don't, don't I don't have it like, like I'm the type of guy, I walk in a room and people don't really notice until I open my mouth. You know what I mean? I walk on stage and people are like, what the hell is this, until I open my mouth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's something that I have to work for. This is not something that, you know, when Jay-Z walks in a room, you can feel it. You know what I'm saying? This, like yeah, but what about? I, I want to build it. Years a, ago for Jay, I don't
1: know if it you was know, that way in the beginning.
3: And perhaps with money and fame, I too will have the glow. But like, <laughs> <laughs> right now, then I you'll have, have to to do than re, hanging out with us. Yeah, well, then I've better stuff to do to throw my body out to <laughs> fifteen thousand people. But for now, yeah. I have to. I have to work for it, and and that's. The essence of Blue Collar.
0: Well, see, there you go. See, Now, I wanted to bring it around to that because we're talking about geniuses and charismatic people. The subject matter of your songs, like in that song, Bullet, you're just talking about everyday people who are put in kind of like tough situations. Mm -hmm. And it's a theme that's running through this entire record. Yeah. Uh, I feel like this this guy is talking about something that a lot of people can relate to. It's not about bling and it's not about rolling down, you know, the street in my Lexus with my uh, you know h- huge watch and my, my seventeen girlfriends. Yeah. It's about people you know being caught in tough situations and not being able to pay the rent on time and uh, getting stuck in a war that they had no part in starting. And this is the dangerous thing mm-hmm. about my album, though, and this is the reason that hopefully it will sell a
3: lot of records, but it might not. <laughs> And and I'm willing to take that risk because it is real. Mm -hmm. There's something about fantasy and music that we love because fantasy allows us to escape. I'm saying you don't have to escape. These are the issues head on. And despite this, you can still be successful. You know what I'm saying? Despite having to be a working grunt, you can still rise above it and be successful. Mm -hmm. And so this is very, it's, it's not cut and dry. Someone said to me, you know, the problem with Rhyme Fest, I said, what's the problem with Rhyme Fest? He said, the idea of Rhyme Fest is too complex from the name to the music. He said, it's not cut and dry. It's not like, I got rims. Look, my rims. You <laughs> like rims? These are rims. You know, I got holes. You like holes? These are holes. Here, look at mine. I got the best holes. The idea of Rhyme Fest is like, just listen and understand and then twist into. But I said to him, those are the people that I want the ones that are willing to think, the ones that aren't willing to think, let them die. Let them eat cake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so like, cause someone said to me in an interview, they said, and let's talk about intonations. They said, how do you feel that at intonation, there were hardly any black faces in the crowd. Everyone who was there, although there were, there were thousands of people was white and Asian. Do you feel like you're not really doing your job to your community? Because they weren't there, they're not interested. I said, number one, I don't know that they're not interested because Jesus Walks was huge. I don't know that they're not interested because The Love Below with Andre 3000 sold 10 million records and was played on urban radio. Mm. Uh, Number two, Maya Angelou once said, it is a shame that the people who I write for will probably never read Mm. my books. Yeah, But does that mean that Maya Angelou shouldn't still write for them? Does that mean that Ryan Fest shouldn't still fight for them? Man, yes, I'm going to fight. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because the people that love my music are the people who affect their situation. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm getting through to them about our situation down here, I can change what's happening on the ground. And whether they know it and love me for it or not, that is my mission. Thanks, Ryan Fest, for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
0: We'll be back with more on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, including a review of the new Tom York record, the new India RE record, as well as Jim DeRogatis' Desert Island jukebox pick.
1: That is Black Swan by Tom York from uh, his first solo album, The Eraser, which came out last week. Although, uh, as he told us when he was in here with Johnny Greenwood, his bandmate in Radiohead, it's not a solo album. I mean... I have in front of me. It says The Eraser. It says Tom York. It doesn't say Tom York and Friends or Tom York and and not a solo album. But uh, Radiohead is in the midst of recording their next album. We don't know when it's coming. We don't know if it's going to be on a major label or it's going to be floated on the internet. We don't know nothing. (laughs) But in the meantime, York has given us these tracks. We talked about it when he was in here a couple of weeks ago. Let's hear a little more of this, Greg, and then we can each give our thoughts on it. We're going to play And It Rained All Night. Let's listen to this and then... uh... Rated.
0: All night from The Eraser, Tom York's first solo record. Uh, boy, that's scary stuff, claustrophobic <laughs> stuff. Uh, that is a creepy track. Tom York on his own with Radiohead's longtime producer, Nigel Godrich, essentially a bedroom electro record. Yeah. Not much more here than a laptop and a few uh, little... You know, bits of piano and and a guitar over the top, but a very sparse record, very modest record. You know, Jim, especially having Tom York face-to-face here a few weeks ago, you realize th- of, of all the big rock stars in the world, this guy must be the most self-effacing, modest, self-deprecating of the bunch. I mean, he just seems to have it's, it's an true. incredible sort of sense of uh, he's a worrywart, you know? Well, it's kind of, he's also the most gnome-like. Yeah. I, I mean, there is, he is an unlikely rock and
1: roll superstar, for y- sure.
0: You don't see this guy belting songs from the rafters, and that's, no. in fact, what he does with Radiohead. And frankly, I miss that on this record. I miss the Radiohead mm. influence on this record. I think for what it is, it's relatively well done. Little blips and bloops, you can almost hear the the demos of future Radiohead songs within a lot of this material and in fact he did filch the radiohead back catalog for leftover scraps yeah. of, of music well, That's why he, he, s- he said a solo tracks. album
1: there's some greenwood guitar on there
0: exactly and and I felt you know he put some vocal melodies over the top and that's mm-hmm. essentially what this record is I think if you hear one or two yeah. tracks you generally get a sense of what the entire record is all about um,
1: I've had a problem with mr. York for a very long time I've always enjoyed the sonic invention of radiohead I've loved the rhythm section you know I love them live I did didn't like the records as much, although I always suspected that someday the light bulb would go off and I would learn to stop worrying and love the York. And this is the <laughs> album, actually, strangely enough, this is the album that did it. There is hmm. no rhythm section. Wow. There is no, you know, sonic invention of Johnny Greenwood and his partner. You know, it's just York with some computer backing and, uh, you know, some guitar and piano and those vocal melodies. But, but I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he wore me down, York, or I don't know if you people wore me down, or maybe I'm just getting old and losing a step. I don't know. But I like this record a lot. I, I you wow. know It really introduced to me a new way to listen to Radiohead, and I'm actually looking forward to going back into the back catalog and reassessing so, some of that stuff.
0: Are you saying we're, we're talking about a buy-it record on the buy-it, buy burn-it, trash-it scale? You're giving this a buy-it. I would say the Eraser by Tom York is a buy-it record for sure. Well, I think it succeeds on its own very modest terms, but the key where there is modest he's a modest guy who made a very modest kind of bedroom record and i missed the boldness that radiohead would bring to this
1: and shouldn't we not reward modesty with purchasing well it?
0: i think it's uh, by burning a few tracks you could pay it, it wow. modest homage that's uh, where it belongs i've been converted and you've been uh, <laughs> reverted i don't know i want to
2: go where the mountains are high enough to echo my I want to go where the rivers run deep enough To drown my shame. I want to go where the stars shine bright enough to Show me the way I want to go Where the wind calls my name
0: No, you're not in the middle of a Seals and Crofts song with those wind, wind chimes. That was uh, from the number one album in the country at the moment, folks. That is India's song, from India Ari's Testimony, Volume 1, Life and Relationship. Uh, You may remember her from her 2000 debut record, which featured a song called Video, which kind of established her as a fresh new voice in the neo-soul movement, basically saying, don't need your silicone, I prefer my own, what God gave me is just fine, I'm not the average girl from your video. Taking a stand and saying, you know, I am me, I'm this natural earth mother, and I'm singing these acoustic folk songs, and I don't have to be part of your MTV video culture. I think what she was trying to do there and and relatively successfully was update the sound of acoustic soul artists like Terry Callier and and Tracy Chapman and Bill Mm -hmm. Withers kind of uh, updating that for a new audience and very successfully uh, nominated for I believe seven Grammys she didn't win any but nonetheless uh, <laughs> but it was a thrill just
1: to be nominated
0: uh, considering the hype that was mounted for the Alicia Keys record that yeah. same year it was kinda of refreshing to see India R.E. kinda of do it a little bit more organically and it was a better record and get a lot of accolades Alicia for Keys did, did debut for sure now she's on her third record the formula is pretty much the same acoustic based songs about self-help about feeling better about yourself she's coming off a apparently a pretty tough breakup a long-term relationship that broke up that is the subject matter for the bulk of this record and uh, she's addressing it in her usual neo soul, wind way. Uh, <laughs> so let's play a little bit of this record. A song that I think cues very closely to the formula uh, struck by video. One of the bolder songs on the record, actually I Am Not My Hair from India RE on Sound Opinions.
2: Uh-huh. A little girl with the press curl. AJ, hey, I got a Jerry curl. 13 and I got a relaxer, I was the source of so much laughter, and 15 when it all broke off, 18 and I went on natural, February 2002 I went on and did what I had to do, because it was time to change my life, to become the woman that I am inside, 97 dreadlocks all gone.
1: India Ari, she is not her hair. Greg, that is one of the better tracks (laughs) on uh, her third album, Testimony, Volume 1, Life and Relationship. There's a strong feminist statement there, as there was with video, and a little bit of a sense of humor in the Mm -hmm. recitation of, uh, of, of hairstyles that she rejects and won't be defined by. Much of this album, as you said, is her recovering from a romantic relationship that ended abruptly and left her heartbroken, and it charts her road to recovery, her path back to the living, In the stupidest, most blatant, (laughs) bland, self-help aphorisms. I mean several notches below Oprah. It is really painful. She thinks she's bearing her heart, and really we're getting this, like, fortune cookie kind of wisdom. Mm. It's so earnest it makes you want to puke. You want to grab her and say, girl – Go slap the jerk upside the head. What is the matter with you? Put down that damn acoustic guitar, pick up a drum, and hit him. What is the matter with you? It's uh, This is tepid. The music meets the sappiness and the blandness of the lyrics. You know, we have some exciting guest stars. We have the guys from Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, and we got Rascal Flats, who we were talking about at the top of the show. I hate this album. I despise this album, and I feel guilty for doing so because the album means well. You know what I mean? It just wants to give the world a hug. It wants to make you a cup of tea and give you a shoulder to cry on. And to me, it just
0: makes me sick to my stomach physically. I I despise this record. It is a trash it. It's a very mellow record, and, you know, she's a smart woman. I've interviewed her. I actually quite liked the first record. There was an element of sensuality there and groove besides the acoustic soul kind of earnestness that really set it apart. And well, I she's thought, got
1: a very sultry a voice. Career, a, a, very lo- a long
0: voice. career ahead of this woman. A very good live performer. But I can't forgive lines that she passes off as if these are the oracles being delivered from the mountaintop. This too shall pass. Yeah. Uh, to thine own <laughs> self be true. These are all lines from separate songs on the album. Oh, it doesn't man. cost a thing to smile, Jim. Oh yeah, that's the one you know, I, like. it I doesn't mean, cost the, the thing the it just is a parade of these kind of cliches. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry that her heart was broken, but I don't need to hear her healing herself on record. It's boring. On the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, Jim, you've already given it trash. an unequivocal a trash again. it again. And I you know hate what? So I, I have to say, I'm going to jump on top of the garbage wow, can and, and smash, okay. you know, smash the CD that you've just tossed in there. I'm afraid to say it's a bad record. I tell you,
2: little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Remember, we were
0: shipwrecked together. I love that song, The Saints, and I love this part of the show, Jim. Uh, Every week, one of us picks a record that we would take with us to a desert island, and this week, for the Desert Island Jukebox, it's your turn. Well, Greg, we often dig deep and kind of go historical here. This is sort of
1: recent history, but it touches on something we talked about earlier in the show, Rhymefest choosing some unlikely samples on his new album, Blue Collar. I think the way that he samples the Strokes someday from their first album, Is This It?, it's really innovative. I mean, you think about hip-hop. You know, hip-hop, the word itself, is kind of automata right? There's that jump, that stutter, that slight syncopation, the groove, the bounce in the hip-hop rhythm. The Strokes. Are the antithesis of that their rhythm is completely four four straight counting one two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. you know their rhythm is the sound of the subway train rushing at you in Manhattan. The strokes, of course, are a new york band they 're on their third album now. The formula, though, was already perfect when they debuted. I mean, they rehearsed five, six, seven hours a day. They were very serious about perfecting this sound, which Julian Casablancas, who was on the show a while back, you know, kind of envisioned as an update on the Velvet Underground for the alternative era. But I say their secret weapon and the thing that Rhymefest recognized is their drummer. Because the rhythm is key. There's something about that very insistent, nonstop, almost punch you in the gut, Mm. real fast, 16 times in a row, in every bar rhythm, that uh, Fabrizio Moretti, the drummer, does really, really well. And I'm going to tell you three or four reasons why this guy is the coolest person in rock and roll the best
0: name in rock and roll I mean number
1: one is (laughs) is there a better name Fabrizio Moretti I mean what a name they got the greatest name ever in rock history right (laughs) number two you know he's Italian needless to say as am I yo world cup right okay (laughs) he's a man of my peoples number three his significant other is Drew Barrymore I mean what drummer ever in rock and (laughs) roll has scored a babe like Drew Barrymore you go fab all right what,
0: what about Tommy Lee (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, Drew is cooler than uh, Pam Anderson. And and last but not least, I mean, he's a masterful drummer. What he does is very, very simple, and yet... To play that simply, that consistently, and that insistently, motivating you to really get lost in the rhythm is not an easy task. There's brilliance in simplicity when it's done the way Marky Ramon did it, or done the way Charlie Watts did it, or done the way Fabrizio Moretti does it. I think that that's what Rhymefest heard. This is the least hip-hop rhythm in the world, but he heard a soulfulness in this very white Rhythm. Right on. This is, all right. So, so this is Someday by the Strokes on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
0: That's someday from The Strokes. Uh, Mr. Deuregattus' Desert Island Jukebox pick, and uh, yeah, you know that Subway Train rhythm. I love that stuff. That is, uh, it's great to hear that, and it was great to hear that RhymeFest also heard it. As I you know, it's so pretty eloquently. Uh, cool. I want to see RhymeFest jam said. with The Strokes. <laughs> oh, no, maybe no, we I, can set that I, up. I think he would be into that. Totally, I think so. Uh, we want to thank RhymeFest, of course, for a great interview and and a performance in, in the Jim and Kay Maybe Studio here at WBEZ. We're going to try something new next week, Jim. You and I are going to get our doctorate degrees between now and next weekend, and uh, we are going to become doctors of music. Doctors of rock? We aren't just (laughs) rock critics anymore, but we have become doctors, rock and roll doctors. And we're going to help some of our listeners who are struggling with what kind of new music to add to their collections. They're longtime music fans, but they really don't know what's out there in terms of new music what what they should add we're going list to listen to the problems it's common
1: malady. how do I keep up yep. you know we're, they're coming to us for help uh, and we're going to give them a prescription try to turn them on to some music based on their symptoms what they like to see if we can introduce them to some new sounds we got some thank yous to say on the way out Tori Malatia is as always our executive producer Todd Bachman's our managing producer and director Matt Fingerspiegel's our producer Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn are our associate producers we get legal help from Dino Armiros, technical assistance from Joe Deso. The RhymeFest performance and interview was uh, engineered by Mary Gaffney and Andrew Mohammed. And
0: Jim Russell is the man. You know, in addition to becoming a doctor between now and next week, I'm going to change my middle name to Fabrizio. I would—it's not going to land you, yeah. Drew Barrymore, but Doctor uh, Greg Fabrizio Kai. <laughs> I would prefer to be referred to that from now on. Everybody wishes they were Italian.